Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. Notice what the psalmist says about the Holy Spirit. He says, I would have lost heart or I would have fainted unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So the key to not giving up or the key to not fainting is believing that you will see God's goodness in your everyday life. Because if you only expect bad, and you're not a person of hope, but a person of despair, you're always expecting negative things, you will grow weaker and you will faint. The key to not fainting is always believing you'll see the goodness of God. And I was thinking of this um, story this morning from a, a message I heard Brother Tim Story share years and years ago. He was sharing why Brother Benny Hinn and his crusades would always sing, How Great Thou Art. He said he would get everyone to a moment while they would sing that hymn, because at that moment, everybody would get their attention off their circumstances, and they would shift it to the All Things Are Possible network. They would be focused on the greatness of God, and at that moment, they would believe that God could be great in their life. You can't just have those moments in, in services and experiences and crusades. You need to have that moment be a lifestyle where you're regularly expecting God to be good. You're regularly expecting to run into the goodness of God that will strengthen you so that you can live the life God's called you to live. Verse 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, we said this word goodness from the Hebrew means prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word, and good to the farthest extreme. And we said this wait means to eagerly expect and look for. The word wait does not mean sit down and do nothing. Waiting is an attitude. It's an attitude of expectation. And while you wait on God, you keep doing what he told you to do. Waiting does not mean sit on the couch and I say, oh, I'm waiting on the Lord. There's a lot of people say they're waiting on the Lord and it's just their excuse for doing nothing. Waiting does not mean do nothing. Waiting is an attitude of expectation. It's an expectation that's paired with obedience that you're going to keep doing what God has called you to do no, long, no matter how long it takes for the miracle to show up. What is it? Faithfulness. The faithful shall flourish. But if you're not consistent, you're not faithful. So it's what you do day in and day out. It's you establishing good godly routines and godly habits that will help you be successful. Let's go to Acts 10, 30, Acts 10, we'll go to verse 38, our other text for the series, especially where we're going this summer. And I encourage you, as you heard in the announcements, make sure you stay connected all throughout the summer, even if you're traveling, because we're diving into the topic of freedom in such a way that I believe by the time we're going through this series, that stuff that's been holding you back for a long time just falls off. That you're going to be free to be the real you. Some of you have never even seen the real you. You've seen the you who've been through some stuff, but you haven't seen the real you. You know, I made a decision last year. I was kind of analyzing my life and where I was and where I want to be, 
And I said, do you know who I want to be? I want to be the person God saw before the foundations of the world. I want to be his original tent for this creation. So this summer, we're going to focus on things because you're going to be free to be the real you. Free to fulfill your destiny. Free to be everything God's called you to be. So Acts chapter 10, verse 38, and we looked at the context of the scripture last week. And notice what Peter says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The word anoint means through the idea of contact to smear or rub with oil and means to consecrate to an office or religious service. And as we talked about last week that you are anointed, any person who names the name of Jesus, any person who is a follower of God, any person who is a Christian is anointed. So say, I'm anointed. When you say I am anointed, that means you've had been in contact with God. When you said that you're anointed, that means that at one point in your life, you ran into God. You can't say you're anointed without running into God. And one of the things we encourage you at the end of last week's message is don't rely on last year's anointing. Don't rely on last year's encounter with God. But have a fresh encounter with God every single day. Because they're supposed to increase and grow in the anointing. And so we see this as how God anointed Jesus who went about doing good. This phrase, doing good, is a philanthropic term, which means to do good or bestow benefits. It means to be philanthropic, meaning, which means to seek to promote the welfare of others, especially by donating money to good causes. It means to be generous and benevolent. And we looked at how Jesus did that last week, and we'll look at it further this summer. But also says he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And we say this word oppressed means to exercise harsh control over one or to use one's power against one. But we're not going to focus on the oppression part today or even the healing part of the doing good. There's another part of this verse I want us to focus on today. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about. He went about. He kept traveling. He kept moving. Now, we've studied the life of Jesus to know that Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see him do. So Jesus would go places because the father told him to. Right? And we have to follow the example of Jesus. Because a lot of us go places because we want to. I want to change my career. Well, did he tell you to change your career? Well, I want to do this. Well, did you check in with the Spirit of God? Remember, we say Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We love our fire insurance, but we don't always like to check in. Sir, is it okay if I do this, sir? Well, you said, Pastor, that God gives us the desires of our hearts. True, did you check your desire first? I'm going to go to this side. Y'all just so silent today. Have you checked your desire with Jesus? Because some of you, if you don't check your desire, you're trying to put your faith to something that's not the will of God. And you say, oh, this faith stuff doesn't work. Oh, Lord, I desire that that person is my husband. Don't make me come out there. I will walk out there, stand right in the middle of y'all. 
Well, do you know, they have a will too. And so you're trying to say, I desire that that person's my husband. And you use your faith and you believe it. I receive it. I confess it. And you know what the problem with that is? Because what a brother don't want you. And what if he's using his faith for sister Sons over here? And the problem is that sister Sons was married. Check your desire with the Spirit of God. So, God, I want this, but is this for me? Because how many know if you're raising kids, your kids want a lot of stuff? Doesn't mean it's for them. And they have to trust their parents' judgment as they teach them what's for them and what's not for them. And in the same way, you have to trust your Heavenly Father about what's for you and not for you. Well, how do I know that? As we talked about last week, your identity. If you don't know who you are, you'll go after the wrong thing all the time. Especially if your identity is rooted into how other people make you feel. If your identity is rooted to how many people like your social media posts, you'll go after the wrong thing. If your identity is rooted to your body count, you'll go after the wrong thing. And some people say, well, what is the body count? I'm talking about all the people you've been sleeping with. Your identity has to be rooted in what God said about you. Because too many people, the reason why they're going around living the wrong way is not because they're a bad person. It's just you just don't know who you are. And even if people along your path should have taught you who you are, but they didn't, it may not be your fault you're the way you are, but now it's your fight. It may not be your fault, but it is your fight. And so you fight to reclaim your identity. You fight to be who God made you to be. You fight the good fight of faith. And you remind yourself every single day that God loves you. You remind yourself every single day that God is pleased with you. You remind yourself every single day that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And his plan for your life is good. Some of you have a hard time believing that God is good and his plan is good because you've done some jacked up things. God is not going to change being good just because you weren't good. No matter what you do, you can't change his identity. He says he is good and his mercy endures forever. He's not going to change. You just need to change. And you start by changing your thought life. You remind yourself that although you did something stupid, it's under the blood. Although you did something, it's your past. Even if your past was when you're driving up to this campus this morning. It's still your past. You just have to make a decision that when we say the last amen, you go back to your car, you don't pick up your past. When you take off your church hallelujah face. When the makeup comes off, the wig comes off. I'm not talking about the ladies' wigs. I'm talking about some guys' wigs, too. The barbershop is a place of miracles.
You have to live this thing. Faith is not a Sunday thing. It is a lifestyle. And Jesus went about being led by the Spirit of God. And you have to understand by the leading of the Spirit of God, the way he leads you, he's not just going to jump down and grab you and shake you and say, go over there. That's not how he works. He will lead you and guide you. And a lot of times we dismiss the leading of the Spirit saying, well, that was just me. Well, let's identify, let's categorize that statement. It was just you. Well, what part of you? Your mind? Your emotions? Your flesh? Or your spirit? Because your spirit, if you're born again, has been recreated. And your spirit picks up on the voice of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you. So if you say, well, that was just me, then maybe you should listen to the real you. Because I guarantee it's not Satan telling you to forget somebody. It's not your flesh telling you to wake up early and pray in the spirit. <laughs> Follow the leading on the inside. He will talk to you. So, oh, God doesn't talk to me. No, Jesus says he talks to you. I believe Jesus over you. How many times have we seen it in the news where people say, oh, something told me not to do this? It wasn't something, it was a someone. And one of the things you see about the stories people, no matter if they're saved or not, have the same testimony, which means God talks to everybody. And he wants to talk with you. You just have to listen. Well, he hasn't said anything in a long time. Well, have you done the last thing he said? I need a word. Well, what did he say last time? Do that. Jesus went about. And a perfect example of that is Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 Verse 21, then they went into Capernaum, where they came from, from Nazareth. Jesus went to Nazareth where he was brought up, and he preached the message we talked about last week, Luke chapter 4, 18 through 21, talking about how the anointing was upon him, what the Holy Ghost had anointed him to do. The people at Nazareth didn't receive the message, and God moves Jesus from being back in Nazareth to living in Capernaum. And Capernaum, even today, is known as the town of Jesus. And so he moves to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And I said, well, how many would like to know what Jesus taught? He said, well, it's not written. Well, Luke 4 says this was his custom. He went around at that time teaching on how God had anointed him. At this stage of his ministry, his message was about the anointing that was on him. That's why they called him Jesus the Christ. Christ means the anointed. It means the Messiah. And then at a certain point of time, the messages change. At one point, he changed his message to repent once John was arrested. Well, why did he change his message? The father told him to. So when he studied the three, a little bit over three-year ministry of Jesus, he has different messages and different themes as he travels, as he's led by the Spirit of God. And so now he's in Capernaum teaching on the anointing. And while he's in there, there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. One of the things you understand about unclean spirits from the scripture, you see it all throughout the New Testament, unclean spirits love to draw attention to themselves. They drew the attention and they like to interrupt. Not every demon operates the same way. But this is what you see happen a lot through the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of, in the book of Acts. That he cries out and says, let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now remember, Jesus wasn't casting out demons. He was just teaching. And the Word of God disturbed the demon. 
When the word goes forth, that is one of the greatest times of deliverance. Yes, I believe in casting out devils. Yes, that's in the word. But notice this man who's been bound by this demon, the freedom has already been started because of the word. And the word went forth. And he tries to interrupt Jesus, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. Jesus wasn't bothered by the demon. He wasn't intimidated by the demon. This word rebuke means to stop him and to think, dude, oh, so you're going to manifest while I teach? Shh, get out. And they were marveling at Jesus' authority, and then he backed it out when this man gets delivered. And the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice. He came out of him. Notice one of the things, especially this devil does, that when you resist it and use your authority, it tries to show out. You can't be moved just because Satan shows out. Why well, use my faith? And it seemed like it got worse. Don't be moved. Do not be moved by the devil's temper tantrum. Acting like a disobedient four-year-old in Kmart. Do not be moved by Satan's temper tantrum. You just stand in faith. Because if the enemy can get you, and Lady Raquel's been saying this for a number of weeks, if he can get you into the realm of emotion, he will beat you every single time. But if you keep in the realm of faith, you will win every single time. And I love what you said, that Satan's not going to uh, outlast you. He will give up before you do. You guys got to take that attitude of faith and patience. Satan will quit before I do. Let's keep going. And the people were amazed and said, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So Peter's house was right next to the synagogue. But Simon's wife mother laid sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, so when the Sabbath was over, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose, notice that, I have come forth. And he was preaching in the synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now most of us, if the whole city is at the door where you were, we would have stayed there. You don't have to do any more marketing. Everybody's outside. Everybody knows where's your headquarters. They all know what is going on here. They brought people to be healed, and this is they were all healed. They brought people to be delivered, and guess what? They were all delivered. They were all right there. Most of us said, let's stay there. It makes business sense. It makes ministry sense. It makes marketing sense. It makes all the sense in the world. Just stay put. And that's what most people would have wanted. But Jesus woke up early and went to pray. You know, if Jesus spent extra time in prayer, you need to spend extra time in prayer. If Jesus spent time in prayer, you need to pray. So let me talk to the guys real quick. 
You should be praying more in your house than your wife should. Don't leave the praying to your wife. You pray. I heard one deep amen. <laughs> Fellas, now you online, you're not getting out of it. I need some amens from the guys in the chat. We should all be people of prayer. So Jesus prays and gets this direction that I can't just stay here. I have to go to the other cities and villages because that is my purpose. He was led by the Spirit where to go. So that means we can't always be led by opportunities. And they're great. We believe for opportunities and open doors. Recently, I was having a conversation with someone. I had this idea, which seemed like a really good opportunity. And I had this plan. I said, well, before I just jump out and launch this idea of this opportunity, let me actually pray about it. I want to make sure it's just not my excitement. Let me pray. He said, well, what did you do? Did you fast? And no. I was like, well, let me go take a walk, and I'm going to pray. And I guess it was some weather outside, so I'm just getting on the treadmill. So I began to walk on the treadmill, praying, I said, Lord, I just want to make sure. And you know what the Holy Ghost told me? He only told me the word I needed to hear. He said, run. That meant get on this idea and get it done. And so I, I did, and an opportunity opens that has opened up even more opportunities. Now, the original idea didn't come from my prayer closet. The original idea came as I was texting another believer, and we were talking about something. And there's a thing I thought I wanted to do. I said, well, that's not what we're going to do. But, well, maybe if we did this and going back and forth. So, well, let me pray about it. Your ideas will come through different times if you stay open to the Spirit of God. Sometimes the ideas will come from your prayer closet. Sometimes ideas will come to you while you're in church. Sometimes the ideas will come as you just fellowship with other believers. Be open to the Spirit of God to talk to you. When he moves, you move. When he moves, you move. I'm not asking the DJ to play it back. <laughs> but when God moves, you move. Follow his direction. Follow his guidance. Follow his leading. And he'll prosper you every single time. So now I'm about to tag my mom, Minister Patricia Butler into this message. Well, praise the Lord. God is good all the time. God is good. I have to tell you, I'm listening this morning and to everything that's been said. I've listened to the worship songs and entered in. I hear what Minister Raquel was saying, and I hear what Pastor was saying, and I have to tell you, there's a common theme. And one of them is, of course, I love Jesus and I'm worshiping him. But the other one is in this life, you have to fight. Okay, sometimes we think because we're Christians, it's supposed to be, oh, you know, I'm skipping through the tulips and everything is beautiful and no one's ever going to bother me. No one's ever going to say anything unnice to me. I'm going to get every promotion that comes my way. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're going to come every day. Um, people are going to be nice to me and then I'm going to be able to be nice to everybody else and life is not going to be a challenge. But life is life, right? Life is life. Things happen in life. 
And what I'm going to share with you a little bit today, I had the opportunity and the privilege to share with some of the team, um, Team Faith, earlier this year. And so I've tweaked it a little bit. The Holy Spirit has changed it a little bit. But I want to talk to you about some things this morning that's going to talk about how you can fight, and it's going to change your perspective a little bit. So a pastor already prayed, so I'm just going to say this, Lord, speak through me. I yield to you. Holy Spirit, have your way. Anoint the ears of the hearers that they may hear what you want them to hear, Father. I thank you, and I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, now, do I have my basketball? Where's my basketball? I need my basketball, and I'm going to ask my husband to come up here, and pastor, I'm going to ask you to come up here. You thought you were going to sit down. I didn't tell my husband beforehand because he would have said, no, don't call on me. So just so that you all know, give you all some history, my husband used to play basketball, but he also used to coach our sons. He coached pastor as well. So now, what I would like you to do is one of you, I want to talk about the pivot. So I need you, somebody, to demonstrate. So you're getting ready. We're not going to dribble because that's going to make a lot of noise. So, Pastor, I want you to be on defense, and I want you to be all the way over here first. So now you're walk, pretend you're dribbling, and he's going da-da-da. Now, now he gets ready. What are you going to do, Pastor? What are you going to do? There you go. He pivots. Did you all see that? Did you see that pivot? Did you all see that? What did he do? He turned. He went, he was minding his own business, going down to court. I got this layup coming. Here comes pastor. He's blocking his path. And he's going to turn, and he's going to block. So now he can't get the ball because pastor's trying to get the ball. He's trying to keep him from going to that basket. So he's going to pivot. And as he pivots, he has choices now. He can pass the ball to one of his other team members. He can pass and try to fake with that pivot, and when he moves, he can turn around if he's close enough to the basket and shoot, but he has options, <laughs> all right? <clears throat> he has options, that's good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So my question to you today is when life happens, what do you do? Do you pivot or do you get stuck? So you could be minding your own business. Your children are going to school, and they, say, they call you up and say, I want you to come in and talk to you about your child. They have a learning disability we've diagnosed them with. What do you do? COVID happened. What do you do? They tell you on your job, your, your, your boss says, hey, I'm going to um, move you to this new position because I want to grow you and develop you. And it's something you've never done before. Never. You don't know hardly anything about the job. You've seen so-and-so do it, but so-and-so has moved on. Now you've got to change and pivot. They call you and tell you they're going to lay you off, or maybe they don't tell you at all. You get a pink slip that day. They escort you out the building, 1.30 in the afternoon on a Friday. What do you do? You have to be prepared to pivot because you have to be prepared to fight. Just because life didn't go the way you thought it was going to go, does not mean that you give up, that you sit down. You know, you might take, you know, 30 minutes, you know, cry, be upset, get mad, vent, call your girlfriend, say, I just need to vent for a few minutes. And then you get back on the word. You know, we're, we're human, so we're going to have some emotions, and we need to process those emotions. But we need to let those emotions be processed quickly and move on to faith. So what I want to talk to you about today is that pivot. I want to talk to you about change. Now, how many of you all know that change is neither good nor bad? 
but it's change. Life is constantly changing. You know, most of us don't want life to change. We get in our comfort zone, and we just want things to be, you know, it's going good right now. I just want to stay right here. I know my job. I'm getting paid decent money. You know, the kids are doing well, and I just want to keep moving on like I'm moving on. But life is going to happen. Something is going to interrupt that. It may be you. It may be somebody else. But something's going to interrupt it because, one, we don't live in a silo. You know, we do life with other people. If somebody else is impacted, it could be your spouse or a good friend of yours. You know, something could happen in their life, and that changes what you're doing in your life because you might need to go help them out, right? So life happens. Um, the story of Nehemiah, how many of you know the story of Nehemiah? Okay, a few people. So Nehemiah is one of my, one of my favorite characters. You know, I have these favorite characters that I just really enjoy in the Bible. Joseph, David, you know, they just, they have such personalities in the things that they went through. But Nehemiah was a great leader. So as, um, as a business um, leader, I do, you know, uh, conferences, and I do a lot of different things, and I have in my career. But one of the things that we talk about is how to lead and how to change. And change management is a huge industry nowadays, right? It, it's talking about how you learn and how you adapt to change. So Nehemiah, um, he's in the household, he's in the um, employer of the king, the king of Persia at that time. So he's minding his own business, he's a cupbearer. And I don't know if you all know what a cupbearer is, but it is the person who brings and serves the wine and the, and the beverages. He tastes it, um, makes sure it's not poison, right? But he's also an advisor to the king, because there aren't that many people who are cl that close to the king, right? That you trust them to taste your food, right? To taste your wine, make sure it's good, you're going to trust that person. And so they're also an advisor to the king. So you know Nehemiah wasn't rock walking around all shabby looking, you know? He had nice clothes. He had a nice place. You know, he either lived on the um, grounds of the palace or close by or probably had at least a room there because he, you never know if you needed to be there all night or early in the morning. So Nehemiah had a cushy job is what I'm saying. It wasn't without its peril, but he had a good job. And his brother, Hanani and I, came from Jerusalem. This is after they were, you know, in Babylon. Um, the Jewish people had been... Um, captured and taken from their land. But King Cyrus, the previous king, had allowed some to come in, come back, go back, and establish your home in Jerusalem. And his brother brought back a bad report. He was like, how are the people doing in Jerusalem? And he basically told them they're not doing well. Um, everything, the walls are down, the gates are torn and burned, and what that meant is that the city was unprotected. So if the city is unprotected, that means that if you're trying to live in the city, any enemy can come or they can just come and harass you, right? So this is what was going on. Now, Nehemiah felt a burden for this. Now, he, again, he has this cushy job, but he was just like, Lord, the ancestors, my home of my ancestors, because as far as I know, he never had been to Jerusalem, but he felt a burden. And I have to dare say that that burden came from God. He began to pray. And he was just really torn up. He prayed and prayed and prayed. And he prayed over, I don't know if it's a few months, and he prayed. And he wanted to do something because he didn't just feel that he needed to pray. He also felt like he needed to act. And when we're praying and we have a burden from some, something, God might tell you just keep praying, keep praying. But a lot of times he's going to tell you to act. And that act might be 
get out and do something different than what you've done. It might be call someone or minister to someone. It may be given to something. But when you have that passion, make sure you're really listening closely and hearing what the Spirit of God is telling you to do. So he prayed. And one day he's before the king and serving the king. And the king notices that he's sad. And now, again, the king can do whatever the king wants, right? So to come before the king's presence and you're sad, that's not the best idea, okay? Because he can just say, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need to get out of here, right? He could say, you know what? No one comes before me sad. You come in my presence, you should be smiling and worshiping me and all of that. Get out. And he could, he could have him killed if he wanted to, right? He's the king. But he came before and he noticed that he was sad. And my thought is Nehemiah served him well. So for Nehemiah to come before him, it says this in the word, come before him to be sad, this was not a normal occurrence. He's like, either you're sick or something is weighing heavy on you. And so he shared with them, and he, he prayed went right before them, right before he opened his mouth. He's like, Lord, give me favor with the king. So the king told him, you know, he told the king, I, um, I have this burden for my, my ancestor's home, my ancestral home, Jerusalem. And he asked him, if you would, you know, um, allow him to go and oversee the rebuilding of the walls. And the king told him he would. And not only did the king, basically, I'm shortening the story, you can read it, but um, he told him that he would send him, and he asked, would you send papers for me to be able to travel so they will give me good passage? So he, not only did he send him with good passage, he sent him with um, armed soldiers to take him through. He had letters for them to give them timber, in the different places that he was traveling to on his way to Jerusalem. So the bottom line is he was able to leave his post, granted a leave of absence um, for a determinate number of, t of months to go to Jerusalem. Now this was a miracle in and of itself. I mean, this was pretty amazing. So once he gets there, he, he sees the situation, he assesses the situation, and he knows what's happening, right? And he's like, this is really in bad shape, but I know we can do something. So he rallies the people. And where I want to pick up is in, in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. So he starts rallying the people. The people are out there. They're starting to build the wall. And guess what comes along? Haters. The enemy comes, right? So here in Nehemiah verse 4, Sambalat was very angry, and this is one of the leaders um, that was surrounding Jerusalem, when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He, and I'm reading the New Living Testament. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? And charred ones at that. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on the top of it. And you know, foxes were thought to be nimble, right? Light-footed. Well, they're gonna, it's going to fall down. And then it's going on down to verse 7. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. So that's what the enemy does. 
He comes to cause confusion. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And they were being used of the enemy to come and destroy and to try to discourage the people and to stop the work because they didn't want Jerusalem to be strong. Okay, they didn't want that. They wanted Jerusalem to be in rubble like it was. And not only this, I want to show you, this is what Nehemiah dealt with. Not only did he have the walls and everything that was broken, but he had rallied the people. The people were focused. The people were working. They were building the wall. But here comes trouble. Here comes the enemy. And they were going to go to war. They were threatening the people. So they were threatening. They were going to come and attempt to kill them and stop the, wall, the work. So not only did this occur, but if you scroll down to, to verse 10, still chapter 4 of Nehemiah, then the people of Judah began to complain they began to complain. The work is getting, are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be removed. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. You see, they were starting to look at the circumstances. They started off strong, but when the enemy came in and started causing confusion, then they started looking at the situation. Meanwhile, our enemies are saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Now they're repeating what the enemy is saying. I think that uh, Minister Raquel already talked about that, right? That you've got to change what's being said, and you've got to change. You can't pick up what the devil is telling you. You've got to speak the word, right? So the Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So they were trying everything that they could. The people were discouraged. The people were in fear now. And we know where there's fear, there's no faith, right? There's no demilitarized zone, faith or fear, nothing in the middle, right? Okay, so once this occurred, Nehemiah knew that he had to pivot. He had to change directions. Now, he's pivoted a few times here. He chose change when he came to Jerusalem. He made that change. He made that pivot. He made that choice. But now he's here. He rallied the people. He's leading. He's being successful. They're rebuilding the wall. Now things happen, and he has to pivot again. So what does he do? At that point in time, he tells the people, okay, listen, we're not going to be, we're not going to be afraid. What we're going to do is we're going to post guards. So he had a plan. He changed what he had to do. He didn't stop. He didn't get stuck. He changed his plan, right? He was paying attention to what was going on, and he was listening, actively listening to what the people were saying. So he changed and he pivoted. So some of them, they had strapped on their swords, and their clubs, whatever else, weapons that they had, and they worked with one hand on their sword and the other hand. Now, the work slowed down, but they kept working and they kept focused. And you know what? They built that wall in 52 days. That's miraculous in and of itself. So when haters are coming, you, 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 cannot, you cannot stop. And one of the things that I want you to think about today, um, and this is something that we actually did as an activity when we um, had our team meeting, I want you to think about one or two things that have been a major change in your life over the last five, six, seven years. Something that's been major. How did you process that change when the enemy came in? What did you do? Did you pivot? Or are you stuck? You're still stuck in that spot. I want you to think about that for a minute. Did you pivot? And are you still moving forward? Or are you stuck? Now keep in mind those two things. If you have your phone or something, you may want to, or you have a piece of paper, write them down because we're going to come back to them towards the end. And I'm watching my time. 
because there's a lot of information to get in a little bit of time. So um, write them down if you can or keep them in mind. Um, Psalms 23.4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and they, thy staff, they comfort me. My husband and I talk about this all the time. He says, yea, though I walk, 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 walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They didn't say sit down. They didn't say camp out, build a home, a residence there. They didn't say do that. Nope. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through. So when life happens, make sure you don't sit down in it. Make sure you don't sit and dwell in it, right? Don't want to do that. You don't want to get stuck. So if you're stuck, this is one thing you got to get up. You got to get up and you got to start taking that step to move forward. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 in the New Living um, Translation, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. So you need to move forward and you need to press on. But how do you do that? And this is when we really start getting into the meat of the message. Now, we, those of us who were at the Seasons Conference yesterday, and it was phenomenal. If you weren't there, you missed it. I just want you to know. And they talked about this. They talked about health. They talked about finances. They talked about um, dental health, physical health. It was just a phenomenal conference. So this, to me, was just a really great setup for today because they talked about some things and explained some things. Dr. Miner explained diabetes in a way I had never heard it before. And I spent 14 years in long-term care. I was not aware of some of the things that she was teaching. It was amazing to me. But what it taught us is that there's some changes we need to make in our lives. We need to pivot in some areas, right? I told you, change is always there. Our bodies change every day. If one of the things that was said, and we can, anyone who's over the age of 25 can say yes and amen, the difference between where you were five years ago and where you are today, your body has changed, right? And you, you know it's changed. I hear, I hear young people talking, you know, 28, oh man, I'm, I've, I've got up this morning, I had this ache. I'm like, you know what, you just need to be quiet. You're 28 years old. <laughs> just get up. <laughs> but it's true, our bodies change. And we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that depending upon where we are in life, our finances change. If you're putting kids through school, there's a difference than when your kids are out of school or when your kid's a baby and you're paying a phenomenal amount of money for childcare, right? There's a difference in that. So one thing that is required if you're going to change and pivot, and one of that is agility. You have to be agile. And agility is the ability to move quickly and easily it's the ability to think and understand quickly. So when you're agile, just like when they were pivoting on that basketball, you saw them pivot, <clears throat> that was an immediate reaction. That was quick, because in order to be successful as an athlete, you've gotta be agile, right? In business, if you wanted to do well, you're gonna be agile. You're always paying attention to what's happening in the market. So for example, during the pandemic, Nike, everybody knows Nike, you know, basketball, Michael Jordan, you know, um, shoes, clothes, uh, leisure wear, athleisure wear, athlete wear, all of that. You see it, see the swoosh, everybody knows it. Well, of course, nobody's playing sports at Nike. Did Nike just sit and do nothing? Mm -mm. 
They increased their digital presence. They encouraged people to work out at home. And then they also changed some of their focus to encourage to um, produce PPE, protective equipment, personal protective equipment. They started making some of that as well. So that way they remained relevant and they're watching what's going on. Um, Coca-Cola, years ago, they started um, changing towards healthier eating, right? Started making juices and bought companies and all of that. Why? Because they knew if the product, that they, their main product was not going to be as successful, they needed to build some other things so that they would and continue to keep their market share up, right? Business. Business is going to be agile. We have to be agile in the church. Think about Faith Christian Center. What did they do in the pandemic? I think Pastor has shared that testimony. One thing about it is we already had Faith Plus, so all he had to do was expand it a little bit, right? He was already set up because the Spirit of God had told him to start Faith Plus a while ago, listening to the Spirit of God. So how are we any different than this church? How are we any different than that business? In our personal lives, we need to always keep a pulse of what's going on in the market. And one of the ways to, to do that and um, is called pestle. Now, I don't know if you're in business, you might have heard this expression, but pestle is the ability to understand the political, the economic, the social, the technological, the legal, as well as the environmental. That's what pestle is. And I want to share a little bit of things about that because it is important that as we move forward, that we know and we don't have our head in the sand, right? And as Christians, sometimes we live in a bubble, we live in our own world, and we need to be aware of what's going on outside of us because we're impacted by politics, we're impacted by what's happening in the environment, we're supposed to be stewards of our land, we're impacted by the economics of what's happening. I didn't say it had to run what's going to happen in your household. What I'm saying is you need to understand what it is. You need to understand how the economy works. Um, uh, uh, Brother Sermons yesterday was a wealth advisor. And he was talking about that. He said he didn't, when he was first you know, young, he didn't understand how the economy worked, and he needed to learn. You need to understand how the economy works. You need to understand how money works. You need to do that. If you don't know, there's plenty of things. Google it. Get books. Take up. Take the um, financial um, piece. Take that. If you don't know, it's a great starting point. It's in critically important. So when we talk about that, as Christians, we need to be aware. So I encourage you. If not, when things happen, you don't know what to turn. And yes, we can always turn to Jesus and pray. But wouldn't it be great as, as we're praying and you've got some knowledge and say, Lord, you know, I heard about this, I heard about that. Do you want me to do any of that? He might say no. Or you might say, yeah, go do that. Versus, okay, I got to send you to this person who's going to explain this to you. And now you got to go to this person to get this other explanation. I mean, if that's where we start, that's fine. But I'm saying it shouldn't always be that way. Let's, let's as Christians, the body of Christ, let's wake up and let's pay attention to what's going on around us. Um, I mentioned um, being agile, and part of being agile <clears throat> and understanding pestle and everything that's going on, <clears throat> excuse me, is to be alert, is to watch. You know, um, Peter, First Peter 5, 8, a message Bible says, keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. 
You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. I mean, that whole scripture could just preach, right? So again, being alert. So you want to watch. You want to be alert. You want to pray. You want to be led of the spirit. You want to analyze what's going on. That's that um, analyze inside what's going on. That's what Pestle does. Analyze the external things, what's going on. That's what you want to do. You want to listen. Listen to your family. Listen to your team, if it's work or your prayer partners. You know, that A Spoon Coon buddy that shares the word of God with you even when you don't want to hear it. Did I say Minister Joe Vivian? <laughs> uh, Minister Joe Vivian is in the house this, this morning. For those of you who know her, she's my dear, one of my dear friends, very, very dear friends, my sister in the Lord, one who, who helps. We help each other. Iron sharpens iron. Amen. So we want to make sure we're listening. And when I say listening, I'm like listening, active listening. Listen to understand, right? Someone is saying something to you, pay attention. Look, in, look them in their eyes and listen. Ask questions. That's how we active listen. So when you're a child, I remember seeing my sister-in-law do this um, years ago, and I, she's my sister, but, you know, just for the sake of, this happens to be my sister-in-law. She was talking to her child, her son at the time, and she stopped what she was doing, and she turned and faced him, looked him directly in the eyes, and paid attention. I was like, wow, <laughs> I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> I'm multitasking. I'm a mom, right? I got all this stuff to do. But I learned that from her. You know, this is before I even learned the business principle of active listening. I saw it in her, and I learned that from her. So I, this, I'm still a work on progress in that because I still try to multitask, but you know that doesn't really work well. But, I, but still, it's something that we need to practice doing. So I want to go on and talk about innovation. Um, I'm a big proponent of innovating. So we see that businesses have opportunities. If you see a need, there is an opportunity possibly for a business, um, something that you know you can do. I've seen people start businesses all over, all over the country with different ideas. You know, the potato chip clip. Who would have thought, right? I mean, you know how much money that person made, right, on a potato chip clip because they got tired of either putting tape on or having potato chips that were, that were stale, right? So from a um, personal standpoint or a business standpoint, when I talk about being stuck, if you're stuck, you're not innovating. You're not thinking of new ways to do things. We talked yesterday about technology, staying up on technology. It doesn't mean you have to do, be on every social media, right, but you should still understand it. And you should still be aware of it because it's influencing our young people today, right? So you need to understand that. So make sure that you're thinking and when you're talking about innovating. You're talking about fighting. Remember, we're talking about fighting. <clears throat> How do we get unstuck? How do we move forward? Where are you talking about these ideas and witty ideas and inventions? But if we're not open to it, how are we going to get it, right? So we need to move forward with that. So again, innovate. Think about ideas. Brainstorm. And then when you brainstorm and you take this to the Lord, now all the time the Lord is throughout all this process, right? You're talking to him, you're, you're praying, you're doing your research, 
right? You're going to school if need be. You know, there's nothing wrong with going back to school or, the, or taking a class or getting a certification. You're never too old for that. I got my master's a couple of years ago, and I just got finished doing a certification earlier this year. It's never too late, right? And my husband said, what you going to do next? I said, well, I don't know. I, I was like, I think I'm done for now. He's like, mm-hmm, sure, right? <laughs> he, he wasn't buying it. And he's in the audience also, also in the congregation this morning. Um, so I just wanted to say the other thing, the next thing you do is plan. You create a plan. And it might be a small plan. It might be three things that you write on a piece of paper or on your notes in your phone. Or it might be an elaborate plan. It might be a marketing plan, a business plan. It might be a plan for your children. It might be something like doing a schedule for your meals so you can make sure you have healthy meals every day, right? You might schedule it for a month or for two weeks or weekly. But that's just that. That is a plan, right? So even the smallest things can be a plan. And then if your plan involves other people, get their buy-in. Right? Talk to them about it. Make sure they're bought into the plan. Again, these are business principles, but you use them in everyday life. You don't just decide, um, okay, I'm going to go in this direction and not talk to your family about it. Right? And talk to them and, and weigh the benefits, count up the cost of it. Right? You want to have that plan. And you want to gain that agreement. And then what we do after we've done all those things, we've prayed, we've heard from God because we have that peace. We have that peace. We act. We act. We communicate. We launch. So don't sit still. Again, we're not going to sit in that valley. We're not going to sit and wait. While we're waiting, we're doing things. We talked about it. We're planning. We're innovating, right? While we're waiting on God. It, it would be like, um, you know, again, you got laid off on your job, and it happens, right? You got laid off. You don't just sit and wait for somebody to call you and say, okay, I've got a job. Looking for a job is a full-time job. You need to get your resume updated. You need to make phone calls, your network, whoever you've been networking on, let them know, your social media, your LinkedIn, those types of things. You need to be on it. You need to be active. You need to be out there. So those are the things that you want to make sure that you're doing, right? So you don't just sit while you're waiting on God to open that door. You are doing all the things that you need to do. So I know we love the expression, let go and let God. And you know, that's, that's, there's a spot for that, especially if you're trying to control things. You're trying to control what's happening. You know, let go and let God. But most of the time, we're, we're saying let go, let God. We're just waiting and waiting on God to do something. So I was reading this, um, one of the, someone on the Bible app, and this pastor said, instead of let go and let God, let's trust God and get going. I loved that. I loved it. I loved it. And I said, you know what? Trust God and get going. Everybody say that. Trust God and get going. Trust God and get going. Trust God and get going. Now, we talked about those couple of things that you have that you might be stuck on. If there's something, one or two, it could be something very small or it could be something major. What I want you to think about when life happens and those things are stuck, I want you to yell, plot twist. Plot twist. And then I want you to pray. I want you to pivot. I want you to trust God. And I want you to get going. Fight the good fight of faith. Amen? Amen.
Amen. Plot twist. It's time to get going, Faith. Learn how to embrace that pivot. Don't stay stuck. God has a plan and a future for each and every one of you. You can stand to your feet. Each and every one of you. It's not just some of us who have a plan from God. All of us. God has a design and a plan for each and every one of us. Amen. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and it help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel. Download our Faith Plus app and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith and we know you'll receive an answer according to the word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.